everyone, and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Joe Lowry, and on this episode, we're diving headfirst into soccer analytics. We're going to look at questions like, what on earth is expected goals? And why are advanced stats useful in soccer? And before you ask if we can leave all of the advanced metrics over in Major League Baseball and let the baseball fans deal with them, I'm going to go right ahead and tell you that the answer is no. We can't. Like it or not, and ready or not, advanced stats are infiltrating soccer, just like they've already infiltrated baseball and basketball and a handful of other sports. Data and statistics is becoming a bigger and more influential field of study every day, and soccer is definitely not excluded from the effects of its growth. There are entire wings of companies whose sole purpose is to collect data from live soccer games, store that information, and then distribute it to customers. Those customers could be individual people, or they could be a specific club, or an entire league or national soccer federation. For example, in January of 2020, Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer announced an exclusive data partnership with one of those big companies called StatsPerform. They're one of the biggest, actually. They own Opta, which is generally thought of as the industry's leading generator of event data. There are plenty of other data companies like Scout, Instat, and StatsBomb that log, distribute, and even help analyze data and statistics. By rattling off all these companies, I'm not trying to show off my knowledge of random soccer-adjacent businesses. Although, if you would be so kind as to be impressed, that would feed my ego in a subtle, yet healthy way. No, the point that I'm trying to make is that data and statistics are coming to the soccer world. And in so many ways, they're already here. Dozens and dozens of stories have been written about Liverpool's adoption of analytics under Jurgen Klopp, Fenway Sports Group, and the club's research director, Ian Graham. Those stories had every right to be written, given just how good Liverpool have been since they adopted a more analytically based approach. In the 2018-2019 season, Liverpool won the UEFA Champions League and finished second in the Premier League. One year later, they grabbed that Premier League title. Looking eastward and a little northward, 2019-2020 Danish Superliga champions FC Midtjylland is another club that's found success leaning into numbers. Midtjylland is owned by former professional gambler Matthew Benham, who won millions gambling with the aid of statistical models and methodology. It's almost as if the idea of making decisions that are based on numerical evidence is a good idea and can lead to success. I think we should all marinate in that idea for just a moment. And that's long enough. On the back of their data-driven approach, Midtjylland qualified for the 2020-2021 UEFA Champions League and appear to be one of the teams in the European soccer landscape who can consistently punch above their financial weight. To be clear, not every club has adopted a statistical approach like Liverpool and Midtjylland. But the fact remains that analytics are making an impact in soccer, and because of that, we should probably learn a little bit about them. So let's do it. Let's learn starting with a guide to expected goals. Expected goals, or XG, is the mainstream soccer stat. If there's one stat shown on a TV graphic other than shots, goals, assists, possession percentage, and fouls, it's going to be expected goals. It's no longer viewed as a ridiculous, unnecessary metric that you can only recite after you've said, well, actually, and pushed up your glasses. To get definitional on you, expected goals is the probability that a goal will be scored based on where and how a shot was taken on the field. Imagine that I'm dribbling into the attack, weaving in and out of defenders using the on-ball skill that I totally, totally have in real life and is not at all fabricated for this imaginary situation. Imagine that I'm dribbling and I sneak into the final third, take one more touch, and fire off a shot from 25 yards out with my rocket of a right foot. Could that shot go in? Yeah, absolutely. Is it likely to go in, though? Probably not. 
Now, imagine that I'm lurking in a six-yard box while one of my teammates gets to the end line and cuts the ball back across the six. As the ball comes my way, I step to it and take a shot with my right foot. Could this shot go in? Yeah, and speaking from personal experience, I'm way more likely to convert a shot from six yards out than I am to convert one from 25 yards out. I'm not trying to be a fun killer here. I'm pretty confident in saying that we all love seeing ridiculous goals from distance sail past the goalkeeper and nestle into the top corner. But really, in the grand scheme of things, how often do those kinds of goals happen? They'll go viral on social media, so when they happen, we'll know about them. But they don't happen a lot, at least relative to all the other kinds of goals that happen in a game. Distance, or the where, is a big part of XG's mission to assign a probability value to every shot taken in a soccer game. It's not the only part, though. XG models also have to factor in the how. What was the angle of the shot? And what body part was used to shoot? Add in some situational context to help further flesh out the probability of a shot going in, and you've got yourself the basic makeup of what goes into calculating expected goals. An XG model then takes all of those factors, compares it to thousands of shots with similar characteristics, and assigns it a numerical value. That value is somewhere between 1 and 0, 0 being a certain miss and 1 being a certain goal. All of this expected goals talk is great, right? And at this point, we should have a pretty good handle on what XG is. But that's only half the battle. It might even be less than half the battle. Knowing what something is, is great. Knowing why something is useful and how to effectively use that something is even better. So now the questions that we need to answer are, why is XG useful and how should it be used? As a stat, XG is useful because it can tell us a lot of things that plain goals just can't. Yes, ultimately soccer will always be about tangible goals and which team can score more of them in any given game. But expected goals can help teams pinpoint ways that they can score more of those tangible goals, or at least ways to better quantify whether or not a team is actually sustainably good at creating chances to score goals. Looking at the expected goals tally from a single game can show us something about how well both teams created goal-scoring opportunities. You know those games where a team does everything right? They control the ball. They create great chances. They take good shots. But at the end of the day, they can't get the ball in the goal, and they end up losing to Burnley. That team's XG total from that game is going to be an awful lot higher than Burnley's. And while an XG win doesn't count for anything, it does help show when something isn't broken. Zooming out and looking at a bigger sample size, digging into the expected goals numbers from a single season can show which teams should be more hopeful than their position in the table might indicate. It makes sense, right? If you're getting in good goal-scoring positions and taking high-quality shots, be hopeful, even if those shots aren't going in. And don't just listen to me on this. Listen to Elliot McKinley, one of the really, really smart minds behind American soccer analysis and one of the winners of the 2018 U.S. Soccer Hackathon. According to Elliot, XG has been shown to be a better predictor of future goal differential than actual goal differential. It sounds sort of complicated, but it's not. All Elliot's saying is that a team with good expected goals numbers is more likely to find success down the road than a team with good goals numbers. Goals lie. Expected goals, for the most part, don't. Maybe my favorite use of expected goals and other advanced stats is its application to scouting. Looking at individual players' expected goals tallies can help teams identify players who are good at getting into goal-scoring positions. Even if a player isn't converting their shots at a particularly high rate, they're probably going to get back on track due to XG's predictive nature. Smart teams use expected goals to zero in on transfer targets. Sure, other things like film review and an evaluation of the player's character have to go into that process too, but like I said earlier, 
making decisions that are based on numerical evidence is a good idea. If you're a moderately sized European club, spending 20 million pounds or euros on a striker who scored 14 goals at a decent level last season sounds like a fine piece of business. But if you dig deeper and find out that that striker only generated eight expected goals in that season, it starts to look like a lot of his goals were pretty lucky. At this point, you should probably start to do a little digging into his career XG numbers. Maybe he's never generated more than 10 expected goals in a single season. Maybe he's been at 6s and 7s in all of his professional seasons. In this case, the stats don't lie. This number 9 just isn't a consistent goal scorer, and he's not consistently able to get into good goal scoring positions. All of a sudden, that 20 million pound or euro deal sounds way, way less appealing. When it's used effectively, XG is chock full of useful and potentially money-saving insights. We've got more advanced stats to run through today. But first, this episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Months and months and months ago, back when going places was okay, I would go to coffee shops to write or to work on prepping for a podcast or to read a book, stuff like that. And I know I'm not alone in that fact. At coffee shops, though, I'm always unsure about the Wi-Fi. Not only is the connection always pretty poor, but I don't know what's happening behind the scenes on that public network. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what people are doing in the background. Someone could be trying to sneak a look at the web traffic from my computer using the unsecured network, or someone could even be trying to steal my information, my personal information. For me, ExpressVPN takes those worries away. It reroutes and encrypts my internet connection so that I don't have to worry about what someone might be trying to do with my information or who might be looking at my web traffic. ExpressVPN is easy to use, it runs well, and it keeps my browsing safe so that I feel a whole lot better about going to a coffee shop or other places like that and getting onto the public Wi-Fi. If you're like me and you're aware of the dangers that come with an unsecured and just questionable network, go to expressvpn.com soccer and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com soccer for three months free on a one-year package. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101 and generally making me feel better about connecting to public Wi-Fi. Now, back to the stats. We've already run through XG, so it's time for us to talk about a few of those other helpful advanced stats that are used by teams to help them make smart decisions. These stats aren't at the, sometimes you'll see them on Sky Sports level of mainstream soccer coverage, but they're crawling towards that point. Someday they'll get there. It might take a year, it might take 10 years, but they're going to get there. Up first, we've got another expected stat, XA, also known as expected assists. I wanted to say XA, aka expected assists, but I thought that might be pushing it just a little bit. Expected assists is very similar to expected goals, except back just one layer. It assigns the expected goal value of the shot to the player that assisted that shot. If I play an inch-perfect through ball to my teammate, who then takes a shot worth 0.3 expected goals, my teammate gets 0.3 added to his personal XG tally, and I get 0.3 added to my personal XA tally. A huge benefit of XA, and part of the reason that I think this stat is so useful, is that it takes some of the unfairness out of assists. If we're dealing with regular assists, I'm reliant on my teammate to finish off that inch-perfect through ball in order for me to benefit and get on the stat sheet. If we're dealing with expected assists, all that I have to be concerned about is doing my job. I just need to get that through ball to my teammate. I can't control whatever happens after that, and I don't need to. From a scouting standpoint, XA takes out all the noise and helps us get right down to identifying which players are actually setting up their teammates to do good things. 
Take Benny Failhaber's 2017 season with Sporting Kansas City. Failhaber only registered one actual assist for the entire year, and if you only looked at that number, you'd think he had a pretty lousy season. But if you look at his XA tally, Failhaber registered 6.63 expected assists in 2017. Those 6.63 expected assists made him a top 15 shot assister in MLS that year. Fast forwarding to the start of 2018, Bob Bradley and LAFC went on to trade for Benny Failhaber, making him one of their primary central midfielders for their first ever MLS season. The moral of this story is that assists are clunky, and expected assists are where it's at. Stats like XG and XA show a lot of love to outfield players, but what about goalkeepers? Post-shot XG, sometimes called XG keeper, gives goalkeepers that little bit of statistically advanced attention that I'm sure they were craving. Where XG looks at the conditions and the context of the shot up to the moment that the shooter shoots, post-shot XG only looks at the conditions of the shot after it's been taken by the offensive player. If the shot totally misses the goal, it gets a post-shot XG value of 0. If it's on frame and in one of the top corners of the goal, it's going to get a high value. So if a goalkeeper is consistently saving shots with a high post-shot XG value, we can tell that that goalkeeper is a good shot stopper. For the United States men's national team fans out there, this stat is why you read tweets about Matt Turner needing to get a look for the national team. In comparison to generally accepted U.S. number one Zach Steffen, Turner has put up better and more consistent shot-stopping numbers over the last few seasons. As we've talked about, advanced metrics can shine a light on the quality of an individual player or on the sustainable success of a team, but they can do so much more. Take the world of opposition analysis. When a coaching staff is preparing for a game, They'll go through and analyze the strengths and weaknesses of their upcoming opponent. They'll try to figure out how to minimize their opponent's strengths and exploit those weaknesses. Using film to complete that analysis is the traditional way of doing things. Today, though, there's an opportunity for teams to use stats to learn a lot about how their opponents play. Want to find out how much a team presses? A metric called PPDA, or Passes Per Defensive Action, can clue you in. If a team allows few passes per defensive action, that means that they're an intense defensive team. They're probably pressing high up the field to disrupt the opposition's buildup. Leicester, Liverpool, Southampton, and Manchester City allowed the fewest passes per defensive action in the Premier League last season. Newcastle allowed the most. The shoe fits, doesn't it? PPDA can tell you how intensely a team engages the ball defensively. And with access to the right data, it can also be used to show where a team engages the ball most often. Other team-wide defensive metrics, like the number of pressures that a team registers in any particular third of the field, or the total number of counter-pressing moments that a team has per game, help round out the defensive picture of an opponent. Offensively, using stats like touches in the attacking third per game and passes into the penalty area per game can give you a good idea of how your opponent likes to attack. Are they a possession team that likes to swing the ball back and forth in the final third, or are they a team that spends more time attacking into space on the counter? The rise of advanced analytics and stats hasn't negated the usefulness of actually watching games, and it probably never will. But readily available stats should force coaches to get a little introspective, thinking about how they prepare for games. Leeds United manager Marcelo Bielsa, who is known for his obsessive and downright unhealthy film-watching routine, is probably one of those coaches who should reconsider his process. In early 2019, Bielsa held a press conference that pretty much solely consisted of him detailing the ins and outs of his weekly game preparation process to reporters. John Muller, who writes the ever-excellent Space 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 newsletter, wrote that the biggest takeaway from Bielsa's mountain of binders and endless slides was that his staff was sacrificing sleep to compile information that could have been done at the push of a button. 
Sometimes we make life harder than it needs to be. Sometimes we make soccer harder than it needs to be. Analytics helps us make things a little bit easier. Now, by no means has analytics figured everything out. There are still large gaps in its ability to measure some really important soccer things, like the quality of individual defenders and off-ball movements impact on attacking. To fill in some of those gaps, the next evolution in the soccer analysis landscape is tracking data. Using information gathered by cameras that snapshot the location of every player and the ball a bunch of times every second, tracking data will allow consumers to quantify off-ball movement, shooting speed, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Tracking data does exist, and some clubs are using it, but at the moment, it's not readily available to the public analytics space. Right now, stats can't tell us everything, but they certainly tell us a lot of things. They help figure out whether or not to be optimistic about a team's performance, they help identify good players, and they help scout opposing teams. Advanced stats are here to stay, and maybe it's for the better. That wraps up this episode of Soccer 101. I hope you've all enjoyed our introduction to expected goals and review of the value of analytics in soccer. I've been Joe Lowry. Thanks for listening, everyone. 